0: This time I invite you to turn in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 5 for our scripture reading. I will just be reading chapter 5. We'll not be going to verse 13 of chapter 6 as noted in the bulletin. I do want to make some comments before we hear the reading of God's Word. Last week, uh, during that passage, or in that passage of chapter 4, there it was a, an unusual couple of verses in there that may have maybe got your attention. Uh, chapter 4, verses 24 to 26, where we hear this, At a lodging place on the way, the Lord met him, Moses, and sought to put him to death. Then Zipporah took a flint and cut off her son's foreskin and touched Moses' feet with it and said, Surely you are a bridegroom of blood to me. So let him al- So he let him alone. It was then that she said, a bridegroom of blood because of the circumcision. What in the world is going on there? (laughs) So I decided to focus last week on verses 21 to 23. And with these verses 24 to 26, I've decided to leave it to the weekly email where I will insert in there uh, a couple thoughts of what may be going on here and uh, that various interpreters take on this passage of scripture. And where I think it, it applies to us. And so, but I will leave that for the weekly email and not here. Uh, at This moment, we're going to turn to Exodus chapter 5, uh, verse 1 to 22. Let us not hear God's word. Afterward, Moses and Aaron went and said to Pharaoh, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, let my people go that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. But Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord, that I should go obey his voice and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, and more, moreover, I will not let Israel go. Then they said, The God of the Hebrews has met with us. Please let us go a three days journey into the wilderness, that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God, lest he fall upon us with pestilence or with the sword. But the king of Egypt said to them, Moses and Aaron, why do you take the people away from their work? Get back to your burdens. Therefore they cry, let us go and offer sacrifice to our God. Let heavier work be laid on the men that they may labor at it and pay no regard to lying words. So the taskmasters and the foremen of the people went out and said to the people, thus says Pharaoh, I will not give you straw. Go and get your straw yourselves wherever you can find it, but your work will not be reduced in the least. So the people were scattered throughout all the land of Egypt to gather stubble for straw. The taskmasters were urging, urgent, saying, Complete your work, your daily task each day, as when there was straw. And the foremen of the people of Israel, whom Pharaoh's taskmasters had set over them, were beaten and were asked, Why have you not done all your task of making bricks today and yesterday, as in the past? Then the foremen of the people of Israel came and cried to Pharaoh, Why do you treat your servants like this? No straw is given to your servants. Yet they say to us, Make bricks. And behold, your servants are beaten, but the fault is in your own people. But he said, you are idle, you are idle. That is why you say, let us go and sacrifice to the Lord. Go now and work. No straw will be given you, but you must still deliver the same number of bricks. The foreman of the people of Israel saw that they were in trouble when they said, you shall by no means reduce your number of bricks, your daily task each day. They met Moses and Aaron, who were waiting for them as they came out from Pharaoh. And they said to them, The Lord look on you and judge, because you have made us stink in the sight of Pharaoh and his servants, and have put a sword in their hand to kill us. Then Moses turned to the Lord and said, O Lord, why have you done evil to this people? Why did you ever send me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to this people and you have not delivered your people at all. As far as the reading of God's word made his blessing upon the preaching and teaching of it. Congregation of Christ, the battle officially begins between two sovereigns. There are two sovereigns that are going at it here. The one sovereign is an earthly sovereign, the one who enslaved the jews the the israelites or hebrews and he is a sovereign over the land of egypt and he rules over the people but there's another sovereign who confronts this earthly sovereign and he is the sovereign of all the lord of all the lord of heaven and earth the one who holds all kings in his hands He is the Lord God. And here we have the beginning of the battle. You remember Moses was being prepared to confront Pharaoh, to speak on God's behalf. When Moses spoke, he will be as God to Aaron and he will be as God to Pharaoh. He is the sovereign Lord, the Lord God is. He is the I am, the self-existent and changeless, changeless one. He is the sovereign of the universe, and he commands Pharaoh, the earthly sovereign, to let my people go. That's the title of this morning's sermon. Last week, the sermon title was, Let My Firstborn Son Go. And we heard about the, the importance of that language, firstborn son. But now he says, let my people go. The Lord is the sovereign one over his people, over the whole world in general and in particular over his people. In our text, Moses and Aaron appear before Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Look in in, in your Bible with me at verse 1 afterward. Moses and Aaron went and said to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, let my people go, that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. But Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord, that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, and moreover, I will not let Israel go. First, God's command disobeyed. God's command disobeyed. Sometime after they arrive in Egypt, Moses and Aaron appear before Pharaoh, king of Egypt, serving as God's ambassadors, God's representatives. And we read in there, as he speak on behalf of God, let my people go. Notice, let my people go. So as Moses speaks, Pharaoh's to interpret that as God speaking to him. In other words, Pharaoh, release my people so that they may worship me my people not yours that they may worship me release my people so that they may worship me and not be enslaved to you who is the Lord that I should obey his voice and let Israel go Pharaoh acts like he doesn't know the God of the Hebrews well he's not that good of a sovereign if he doesn't know the people that he's enslaving Any king or president or prime minister knows the people well enough and the different religious beliefs within the sovereign domain of the land that he oversees. He surely knows the Hebrew people. It seems strange that a sovereign of the land doesn't know who this God is, the God of the Hebrews. The Hebrews were great in number and a threat still to Egypt. Egypt. But Pharaoh doesn't care to know the Lord. By all appearances, the God of the Hebrews isn't much of a deity at all. If he's such a great God, why do I have them in chains? This sovereign is arrogant and smug. Who is this Lord? Look who's in power here. Look who's enslaving the the, the Hebrews. If their deity is so strong and powerful, if he indeed is a sovereign, why do I have them as my people, my slaves? You see, there's a battle, there's a spiritual battle going on here between two sovereigns.
1: By all appearances, the
0: God of the Hebrews isn't much of a deity if his so-called people are his subjects and slaves. He decisively rejects the first request and this will lead to a crueler punishment upon the Israelites. Make no mistake, the king of Egypt shows no contempt and disregard for the sovereign Lord, the God of Israel who is Yahweh, the Lord, the great I Am. So if God is really the God of the Hebrews, let him show himself to be such. Isn't this the case today? Unbelievers question the God of the Bible and reject him because they see suffering in the world, they see oppression in the world, they see things as a result of sin in the world, and the unbeliever looks upon this, these Things that happen and occur in society, and they say, surely God is not, not a God of love, otherwise he would not allow evil to exist. Not much difference. Not much difference. If God is so good to his people, then why does he allow them to suffer? Again, Moses and Aaron request request the release of God's people to worship and serve the Lord. This time you'll notice that they don't speak for God, they speak for themselves. And they speak for the people. The God of Hebrews has met us. He visited us. Please let us go three days journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. Lest he fall upon us with pestilence or with sword. Listen, Pharaoh, God visited us, and he told us what to do, what we should tell you. Let us go and worship him. Let us go and worship him, him. otherwise we will all face his wrath, his sword. You notice that, what he says there? Lest he fall upon us with pestilence or with the sword. If you have your own Bible, underline the sword, because we're going to come back to that later. In other words, if you do not let them go, you will lose your entire labor force. It will not go well with you. You think you won't meet your quota when you inflict them with these strong or crueler uh, judgments, these, this crueler punishment. You will have no one to work for you. What then? The king of Egypt said to them, Moses and Aaron, why do you take the people away from their work? Get back to your burdens. And the Pharaoh said, behold, the people of the land are now many, and you make them rest from their burdens. Again, command denied, rejected, disobeyed.
1: And now Pharaoh accuses
0: Moses and Aaron of being disruptors and agitators. They are disturbers of the peace and filling the minds of the people with lies. My goodness, there's nothing new under the sun, is there? Like the Nazi propagandists said, Giebels tell a person a lie enough times they believe it.
1: Pharaoh will not listen to the word of the Lord. He will not
0: let the people go. And then Pharaoh, secondly, renders judgment. Pharaoh's judgment rendered. And we see this in verses 6 to 19. The same day, Pharaoh commanded the taskmasters of the people. At verse 6, we read this and their foremen, you shall no longer give the people straw to make bricks as in the past. Let them go and gather straw for themselves but the number of bricks that they made in the past you shall impose on them. You shall not by no means reduce it, for they are idle. Moses and Aaron visited the king of Egypt, and it didn't go well. And in fact, it had the opposite result that they were looking for and had great consequences. And as we said last week, Pharaoh hardens his own heart. Indeed, here, because of his rebellious. And hardened hearts. He will not let the people go, and in fact, will render a judgment upon them that will be cruel and harsh. He will lay heavy burdens upon them. They will have to not only make brick, but they will have to get the supply of straw. And to top it off, they have to meet the same quota. Now, any businessman knows that this is impossible. Any reader can see, oh, this is impossible. This is an impossible task. And that's the point that this narrative is communicating to us. That this burden is so heavy and weighty that it's impossible. If you're taking notes, write that down. This is an impossible task, a weighty task, an unbearable task.
1: An unbearable task.
0: Bricks were made with clay and straw. Then they were left out in the sun to dry. Now that the the straw is no longer going to be provided for them by others so that they can quickly make brick, it's up to the slaves to get the straw themselves and meet the same quota. This is impossible, a heavy burden. And Pharaoh's judgment upon the people as a result of God's command demonstrates that in his view, he owns the people and no one else. He owns them, no one else. The God of the Hebrews doesn't own them, he owns them, and he will do to them as he pleases. You see this battle of the sovereigns? That's why I love the first question of the Heidelberg Catechism. What is your only comfort in life and in death, in body and soul, that I, what, belong?
1: (laughs) Belong.
0: Do you know what it means to belong to something or someone? Do you know what it means to belong to the sovereign Lord through the shed blood of Christ? Pharaoh's saying, no, 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 he they belong to me, and I will inflict judgment upon them, and they will be my slaves and servant. And God is like, no, 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 no. They belong to me, because I am their Lord and have made covenant with them. I am their God, they will be my people.
1: Pharaoh increases their burden. Let's show them who's really in control here. I am God.
0: I am Pharaoh. I am king of the land. King of Israel. I am their sovereign. Let... Let's increase the burden. Let's show them who's really in control. Don't believe their lies about going to the desert to worship their God. That's an excuse because they're idle. They're just lazy. They don't want to do the work, so they're going to make excuses and lies to find rest from their labors. Are you starting to put some of the pieces together, some of the biblical teaching of redemption and grace? The Lord Jesus Christ. Pharaoh's judgment is rendered. The people are greatly burdened. The four men who are from the people of Israel are getting beaten now. And now God's people were enraged. Thoroughly, God's people were enraged. In verse 20 and following. Look with me at verse 20. Then they, the foreman of the, of, from the people, met Moses and Aaron, who were waiting for them. After they had met with Pharaoh, Moses and Aaron were waiting for them. And as they came out from Pharaoh, and they said to them, The Lord look on you and judge, because you have made a stink in the sight of Pharaoh and his servants, and put a sword in their hand to kill us. Underlined sword. Interesting, isn't it? Moses and Aaron, you have put a sword in their hand to judge us. Whereas earlier, Moses said to Pharaoh, if you don't let us go, we will all face the sword. The sword will be upon us. A battle of the sovereigns. Who will execute the sword? Did the people forget so quickly Did Moses and Aaron forget so quickly? Because in chapter 4, we read that Moses and Aaron spoke to the people before they spoke to Pharaoh. And when they spoke to the people, they told them everything that God had told them on the mountain of God. All the things that God will do. They spoke God's word to the people. They told them that Pharaoh will not let the people go. God told Moses and Aaron, Pharaoh will not let the people go. He will harden his heart. And now after this first interaction with Pharaoh, there's what? Doubt. That's what doubt is, friends. Doubt is forgetting God's word and promise. That's what doubt is.
1: Does God really
0: forgive me of my sins? I'm doubting. Why? Because he already told me that he forgives me in Christ. That through faith in Christ, my sins are forgiven, full and free. But we are doubters. We doubt God's word at times. Many times, in fact. And what is doubt? It is forgetting God's word. The people forgot God's word. Moses and Aaron forget God's word. And what do they do? They grumble. They grumble against Moses and Aaron. They grumble against God. You see, their grumbling didn't begin in the wilderness. Their grumbling began, began here. Here. They blame Moses and Aaron for their plight. They said, may the Lord look upon you and judge. That is, they accuse Moses and Aaron and invoke a judgment upon them. A curse upon them. May the Lord judge you, Moses, for what you have done to us. Because of you we are being inflicted with this pain and suffering. They accuse Moses of Aaron of their plight and ruining their reputation And integrity before Pharaoh, that's what that means. You have made us a stink in the sight of God. That before Pharaoh, you have ruined our integrity. We were doing fine without you. At least we were getting the job done and meeting the quota. But you have made matters worse. You are a stench to Pharaoh. You have made us a stench to Pharaoh in his sight. Congregation of Christ, God promises his people deliverance. But he promises it in his time.
1: We don't see immediate
0: solutions here to their problems. In fact, he told them, you will have trouble. Pharaoh will not let you go. He already forewarned them. But they doubt. They forget. They forget that God will not bring an immediate solution to the problem. He will actually show his power through Pharaoh in his judgment toward Pharaoh. And we do the same. We don't see immediate solutions to our problems. We don't see immediate solutions to our sufferings, our sorrow. And we begin to doubt, God, are you really there? God, are you really for us or against us? When God's word is true and will come to pass in his time when he will come again to judge the living and the dead, when he will take us home to be with himself, and he will judge and make all things right. He promises that, and we have to think of that sure and certain hope that we have in Christ, that in our sufferings, when there's seemingly silence, God will accomplish his work. We are called to be patient and wait on the Lord. Patient and wait on the Lord. God will judge. God will deliver. In fact, he has delivered in Christ, and he will deliver. Christ will deliver in the last day. In the meantime, wait on the Lord. Think about the passage I read from Romans 5 earlier about the hope we have. That in our suffering, suffering produces what? Endurance. Endurance uh, produces what? Character. What's the character of the people here? Grumpy, grumbling, judging Moses and Aaron. Congregation, God promises his deliverance to to Israel, but they forgot. They forgot the word of the Lord that was given to them as we read in chapter 4 last week. And even Moses forgets. Look with me at verses 22. The God's servant, Moses, prays. A proper response to all of this. Verse 22. Then Moses turned to the Lord and said, O Lord, why have you done evil to this people? Why did you ever send me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to this people, and you have not delivered your people at all. Verse 22 can be translated... Oh, Lord, why have you brought trouble upon us? One commentator says, Moses does not charge God directly with authoring this evil. For the idiom, this Hebrew idiom, only means that God has allowed and permitted such trouble as Pharaoh has thus spawned. Remember, Pharaoh is responsible here. Pharaoh hardened his heart. And God will harden his heart to show his power through Pharaoh. God's servant Moses does not remember. He forgets and doubts. Why did you send me knowing that God would punish the people that increased their burdens? Well, didn't I tell you that Pharaoh would not send the people to the wilderness, allow them to go? Didn't I tell you these things?
1: Moses is like, why did you ever send
0: me? I've been a troublemaker for the people of Israel ever since I got here. They are suffering hardship because of me. And he also challenges the Lord's inaction. You haven't delivered your people, Lord. You didn't hold up your end of things. Moses' prayer sounds like the man who protested the Lord's call earlier. Moses becomes discouraged because the results were not good. It didn't go well or work out for the people. Again, Moses forgets and doubts. He forgets and doubts the word of his sovereign Lord who will use Pharaoh to demonstrate his power and Pharaoh will not let his people go. The congregation of Christ I said this is a battle of the sovereigns. And indeed it is. And we see this being flushed out even more in Exodus, in the ten plagues. We see this being flushed out even more when they exit Egypt. And Egypt's army is swallowed up. The sword, the sword is executed upon the earthly sovereign. Because God so cares and loves his people, And he remembers his promise to his people. And that's how the Lord responds in chapter 6, 1 through 13. He will save. Verse 1 of chapter 6. But the Lord said to Moses, Now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh. For with a strong hand he will send them out. And with a strong hand he will drive them out of his land. God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. I appear to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty. But by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land in which they lived as sojourners. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the people of Israel, whom the uh, Egyptians hold as slaves, and I have remembered my covenant. God remembers the grace that he will bestow upon his people, and in his time... After he deals with the Pharaoh, he will rescue his people, remembering his promise. And indeed, God remembers his promise to his people. Because the battle of the sovereigns has been fought, and it is being fought now, and it will be fought in completion in the last day. For our Father in heaven sent forth his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who assumed our nature and very flesh and blood to be our Savior and Lord. Jesus visited us and the world to do what? To destroy the work of the devil, the one who has dominion, the dominion of darkness. Jesus came to destroy. He enslaves human beings with the great burden of death, as the author of Hebrews writes. Jesus came to rescue and destroy that work of Satan as he holds people with the fear of death. That's why he's called the accuser, laying heavier burdens upon people so that they believe the lie of the devil and die in fear. Satan holds captive the people of God, but God sent his son to release the captives free so that we may worship him and praise his name. Indeed, Jesus is the sovereign one who fights for his people. Like the time of the Exodus, the battle is not against flesh and blood, but against spiritual forces and principalities, friends. Turn with me in your Bible to Colossians chapter 2.
1: Colossians chapter 2.
0: Paul warns the Christians not to be deceived or or taken captive by empty philosophies, empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the spirits of this world. For in Christ the whole fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. Verse 9, and you have been filled with him or in him who is the head of all rule and authority. Verse 10. Now go down to verse 13 of chapter 2 of Colossians. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He's referring to the debt that we owe God because we are lawbreakers. But listen to what he says in verse 15. In his cross... Jesus disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in Him. Jesus came to triumph over the powers of darkness, the powers of evil, the power of Satan, because He is the sovereign one who releases our burdens. Those heavy burdens that Satan places upon the blind unbeliever. But we also not forget the burden of sin which enslaves us. By nature, we are sinners and sin enslaves. We become slaves to unrighteousness. Slaves to unrighteousness. We are spiritual slaves. But in Christ and by his spirit, he releases us, he makes the captive free so that we do not bear the burden, the heavy burden of our sin, because that heavy burden, that incomprehensible burden of sin, was placed upon the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who forgives and has mercy and releases us and makes us free. Do you know your burdens, those heavy burdens placed upon you, forgiven in Christ? Do you know He bore that burden in His suffering and death? in body and
1: soul. The burden
0: of Satan, the burden of our own sin. Let's not forget the burden of evil men who enslaved the people of God with burdens too heavy to bear. In his first coming, who did Jesus oppose? He opposed the religious leaders when he said in Luke chapter 11, but woe to you Pharisees, for you tithe with mint and rue and every herb And neglect justice and love of God. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. Woe to you, Pharisees, for you love the best seat in the synagogue and greetings in marketplaces. Woe to you, for you are like unmarked graves and people walk over them without knowing it. One of the lawyers answered him, Teacher, in saying these things, you insult us. And he said, Woe to you, lawyers also, for you load people with burdens hard to bear. And you yourselves do not touch the burdens with one of your fingers. They burden the people with legalism, traditions of men, rather than the word of God. And Jesus says to those who are burdened by the the traditions of men and legalism, he says, no, come to me, all of you who are weary and heavy laden, burdened. Come to me and I will give you rest. I will give you rest for your souls. And so in the coming of Jesus, he indeed releases us from our burdens, from our captivity, from Satan, from sin, and the world. And there are still evil men in this world who are sovereigns and nations worldwide who are enslaving the people of God. I only have to say North Korea or China or parts of the Philippines or the Middle East who may be saying, how long, O Lord? How long, as the psalmist says, must we suffer and the wicked prosper?
1: Do not doubt,
0: Christian. And when you doubt, remember the words spoken to you from the Bible. That, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age, and no one can snatch you out of the Father's hand, not even Satan. For he has no sovereignty over you. He has no dominion over you, Christian. He, o- he does not own you anymore. Jesus own you, owns you. You belong to him. And God doesn't promise instantaneous freedom from sinful men or instantaneous deliverance from physical trials or tribulations. He doesn't promise that, but he does promise to comfort you in those times. He does promise to be with you always in those times. And he does give you the faith to look to the sure and certain hope that he will come again and he will draw the sword. And he will come with the sword in his mouth, which is that figurative metaphor of his word, executing judgment and all unbelievers and Satan and his minions will be cast into utter darkness and hell and those who believe on the Lord Jesus Christ will be saved in that day of wrath because Jesus paid it all and released you, Christian, from the bondage of sin, death, and hell. Amen? The sovereign Jesus will come again and redeem his people, body and soul, once for all. And we wait patiently in this world, looking to no sovereign, earthly sovereign, to give deliverance, to give hope. We're not looking to politicians, kings, princes, or the like, legislators, congressmen, senators, on and on. We don't look to them for that sure and certain hope in the future. No, we look to King Jesus, who is a true sovereign. And we wait upon him. Amen. Let's pray. Oh, Father in heaven, we come before you thankful that you, by your sovereign mercy, sent forth your Son to set the captives free, to set us free from the tyranny of the devil, to set us free from our own sin and rebellion to set us free against the powers of this age and this world. Oh, Lord God, we find ourselves in Christ and hidden in him. For you alone deserve the glory, honor, and praise. And we humbly submit ourselves to you. If there is no one here or anyone here, Lord, who has not turned to Jesus And has not known the freedom from captivity. And is still living in the bondage of Satan and sin and death and hell. Oh Lord God, may you reach by your mighty right hand and arm. To save and call to repentance and faith. And for us who believe. May you, oh Lord, continue to sanctify us by your holy word and holy spirit. May you, O oh Lord, continue to strengthen our faith so we need not doubt our present circumstances or suffering, but rejoice in the God of our salvation, who will make all things right in the end day, end of time. We pray this.